just a quick, Tom, yep. where are you up to in uni, mate? I am at the end of my first year studying teaching. Studying teaching. Yeah. Okay, this will be perfect in a few, sort of like lecturing and yeah. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> sort of, maybe like. <laughs> so you've been up at NTE as well and yeah. done a bit of um, practice this week, or a bit of thinking along. Yep. Yeah, plenty. Um, they break it right down for us and then rebuild it up. So it's been okay, right. So sort of tear you right down and then rebuild you again. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, so Tom's going to share with us, but he's going to get the crew to come up and read yeah. the Bible first. So I'll, let, I'll hand it over to you and you can awesome. introduce that and go yeah, from yeah. there. Thanks. Our team is going to read it. Yeah. yeah. Are they? Do you want to just come and stand up here? It is 1 Samuel 8. Listen to all that people are saying. It is not they, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me from the beginning, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt and filled with them, forsaking me to serve other gods. So they have been rejected. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king will reign over them
Awesome. Thank you, guys. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Tom, as we've just learned, and studying teaching at Bendigo La Trobe. Um, a little bit more about me. I love footy. Uh, I play at Maiden Gully in the Lawton Valley League around Bendigo. Um, I've heard that uh, the whole family are Collingwood supporters. At most. <laughs> I follow Essendon, but I had failed to mention that to Todd before, in case he just kicked me completely. <laughs> um, I'm going to lead through a section of God's Word today. Um, yeah, but beforehand, uh, we'll, I'll pray to God that he'll work through us. So I please pray with him now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for the chance to open your word and hear you speak to us. I pray for open hearts for all the people here today. Please work by your spirit to help us understand what you are saying in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, yeah, thank you to these guys for that uh, traumatic rendition of 1 Samuel 8. Um, I'll be re- making some specific references, so if you've got a Bible, make sure it's open up to that, otherwise it'll be up on the screen, so that'll be right. Um, I'm going to do a quick survey of the crowd to start. So, who here is an eldest sibling? Nice, nice. Um, who is a younger sibling? Oh, a few more younger siblings. Um, who, who here is a poor, poor middle child? Uh, I'm sorry for your situation. Um, who here is a mum? That's good. No blokes put their hands up. That's good. Yep. All right. Um, I myself am an oldest child, uh, the best big, bu- best big brother going around if you ask me, uh, but my siblings might have another story. Uh, I'm known to tease my younger siblings, maybe start a fight or two occasionally, but that's just exercising my big brother rights. Um, quite often, though, I lead my siblings astray in how they should respond to my teasing. Um, a worldly response compared to a godly response. Um, you're probably asking, what on earth does this have to do with an Israelite king? That's a fair question, so let's get into it and see if we can nut it out. Uh, to begin with, in asking for a king, Israel rejects God as king over them. Let's read verses 1 to 9 again. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said this, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly that they may know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Okay, so we start this chapter. Samuel's got nice and old, um, and his sons are appointed after him as the next judges of Israel. Uh, If you're unaware, the judges are leaders that God raised up in response to Israel's cries for help. This happened each time they fell back into sin 
and were given over to their enemies. You can read about it in the book prior to 1 Samuel, aptly named Judges. Um, with Samuel's sons as leaders, Israel are subjected to men who are ungodly, selfish, and pervert justice. We see this clearly in verse 3, which sets the scene for us. It seems fair enough that Israel want a change in leadership, doesn't it? So they go and ask Samuel to give them a king so they can be like all the nations around them who have kings themselves. Samuel is disapproving of this and takes it to God. And we see in God's response to Samuel that this request is actually a rejection of God. Not a rejection of Samuel's leadership, not even a rejection of his wicked son's leadership, but as God as king over them. Even in the face of everything God has done for them, we can see it throughout the books before 1 Samuel. First of all, looking at Genesis, God created him, God created them in his image, by his hand. We also see the promises he made to Abraham about his descendants, them. If we read Genesis 12, the first three verses, which will pop up on the board. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the people will be blessed through you. We see here that these people God has chosen as the descendants of Abraham are going to be a great nation. They will be blessed. They will make the name of Abraham great and they will bless all the people of the earth. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And yet, they have chosen in our 1 Samuel passage to reject God, almost as if they're trying to remove themselves from this promise. And we even see a whole book of the Bible dedicated to the way in which God saved these people. Exodus. God sent plagues of awesome power against the strongest nation in the world at the time to bring his people up out of slavery into the promised land that he'd given to Abraham. He parted the seas. He defeated an entire army. He fed them in the desert with heavenly provisions. And yet, in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, they have rejected me, that is God, as their king. And what is rejection of God? It is sin. Taking the God who created the universe and saying, now nah, good, I'm good running, gonna run things down here myself. Placing worldly things, whatever that is, as our king. The Israelites here can be compared to a youngest child of three. You're the littlest kid and your eldest brother is teasing you. Guilty as charged. Now mum says when he's teasing you, you should go and tell her. She is just, she will discipline her children. The, the big brother here is, represents the bad leadership under Samuel's sons. And mum, mum represents God. So you know the right and just thing to do is to tell your mum about your brother teasing you. However, when your brother teases your sister, the middle child, she goes and fights your brother back. She hits him, she pulls his hair, she pushes him around, she fights back. Your sister represents the nations around Israel. So you are faced with a decision. Follow the instructions of your mum and your brother will be dealt with justly. 
or let your anger flare and fight him back. Ultimately, your decision to fight your brother comes out successful and you reject your mother's rules for your own satisfaction. And we all do this, don't we? We decide that we are going to handle things, the way we're going to handle things is better than what God would do. He's not going to smack your brother the way we will. We all reject God's rule, just as Israel did in the passage with Samuel. However, God doesn't finish there in the passage. So let's look at the next part of the text. Verse 10 to 18. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. That's some sort of warning, isn't it? God presents us very clearly with the realities of a king such as all the other nations have. Have a look at verse 11. Do you see there that asking for a king king gives him the right to rule over them? The right to rule over them? And then do you see in the following verses, six times in six verses, it says, He will take. Take, take, take. He is going to be a wicked king and he is going to exercise his right to rule by making them his slaves. He is going to take their sons and daughters for his cause. He is going to take their grain and their crops and the best of their fields and he is going to take the best of their cattle and sheep and all of their livestock, all for his own benefit. This is going to leave them with nothing. I don't know if you're like me, but I see these kinds of things in my life. Perhaps like me, you place your security in relationships, friendships, family, personal relationships. Relationships aren't a bad thing, yes? However, when they're placed as the ultimate thing in life, the thing that provides security and joy, um, it, it becomes the case that they are a bad thing. When that happens, relationships take so much. Time, money, take away from your other relationships with both people and with God. And while they're good, they seem to provide those things of security and joy. However, relationships are never easy and never always good. And in the moments they are, they are at a low, they hurt and take more from you than they already have. And ultimately, they will, deliver, they will never deliver eternal security and joy. Or perhaps you look for security in money. This is the case for many people. They think if they have a million dollars, they'll be secure and never have to worry again. 
And so, in getting that $1 million, the money king takes away from your time, 